You're listening to The Dugout, a college baseball match podcast. Today we had the pleasure of speaking with Jeff Levering. Jeff is the play-by-play broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. Jeff had a very interesting experience when he played for Chapman University. He even won a Division III World Series championship. We speak with Jeff about what it took to play at Chapman, how he came to his decision to attend Chapman, and much more. We also get into his career as a broadcaster and why his skills as a student athlete translated during his grind up the ladder. All that and more on today's episode. Jeff, it's it's great to have you on. Yeah, pleasure to be here anytime. It's uh, it's an honor to talk with you. Awesome. So, you know, you've, you've had quite, I think, uh, a career in baseball thus far. Um, and I think what's really interesting is, you know, you're a former Jesuit high school grad, um, and you went off to play baseball at Chapman. So I kind of wanted to gauge, you know, what was your re- recruiting process like? Was was Chapman always kind of on your radar to play? Uh, Chapman, I had never heard of, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I was looking at other schools, Division One programs. Um, I, I had a pretty good career in, in high school, and um, I was playing on the varsity team as a sophomore, which was unheard of at that era. Um, only a couple of players had ever done that in the past, and I was in part of a class that had J.P. Howell and Brett Dalton, who went on to play one in the big leagues and the other in the minor leagues for a couple of years. So um, great high school career, but I was I was thinking that I was probably better than I was. I could hit. I didn't really have a defensive position, uh, but I didn't know about Chapman until I went down to the area codes. I, I had a nice tryout to get into the area codes initially and then went down to area codes um, the summer before my senior year would have been. And, um, I played well. I was the only guy on the, on either team, North or South that that had three hits. And I threw a couple of guys out behind the plate and I had two brothers that happened to be twins. One Reed Peters, who's now a coach in Northern California at Delta community college. Uh, he was at the air force Academy at the time. And then Rex Peters, who was the coach at Chapman who really recruited me hard after that. Um, and I was between those two schools at the end of the day. Uh, and ended up going to Chapman. So if it weren't for the area, the area code games and the tryouts, I, I probably would have never heard of Chapman. And do you think he would have maybe played for any other team? Or what What other schools were you kind of looking at? And kind of what was that process like for you? Those would have been more walk-on opportunities. I think other teams, you know, I, I was contemplating going to Loyola Marymount, but it would have been a walk-on situation, not necessarily a, a preferential walk-on either. Uh, I would mm-hmm. have had to have earned a spot. Um, so if I was going to go to LMU, it, it would have been more as, as just a more of a student and, and kind of get my career going in whatever direction that was going to go. But um, I really like the Chapman aspect of it. Again, I'd never heard of the university. And when in the recruiting process, um, they had a baseball player that was playing for him at the time. And coach knew that I wanted to get into broadcast journalism. And, and unbeknownst to me, they had one of the best journalism schools in the on the West Coast. Now it's one of the best in the country. Uh, and that's really what sold it for me, not only just the opportunity to play, um, coming in as a freshman, which I did and, and performed very well, uh, but the journalism school was was a, a really big selling point for me as well on the university. Had you ever considered, you know, if you wanted to play at a Division One level, I think prolonging your, your uh, development by going to a junior college? Um, I'd thought about it. But at that time, I think I just needed to get out of, of the Sacramento area. Um, you know, I, I, Sac City would have been great. American River would have been great. Both would have um, welcomed me with open arms to go play for them. 
consumedness river wanted me to go play for him really badly as well. Um, but at that point I, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I wasn't going to, to play at the next level. And I was okay with that. Um, so I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to get an opportunity to play, um, ended up winning a national championship at the division three level. So not many players have an opportunity to do something like that. Not that I knew I was going to have that chance going to Chapman, but, uh, at the same time going to a division one program, while it would have been a great experience for me, um, I found the right spot for me and, uh, and it worked perfectly. No, definitely. It sounds like that for sure was the case. Um, you know, what was your, what was it really like playing at Chapman for you? It was a great experience. Um, again, I was recruited by a guy who, who was only there for one year. He recruited me, and then my freshman year um, didn't make the playoffs for the first time in a couple of years, even though the team went 29-13 and 13 or 29-12 and 12 or something like that. But as a, an independent at the time, not affiliated with the conference, he basically had to win 30 games. And after that season, um, he went on and got the head coaching job at UC Davis. Um, he asked me if I wanted to come join him. Uh, I ended up sticking around because I didn't really want to go back to Sacramento and, and Davis at that point, go back to Northern California. I, I really was enjoying what I was doing down in, in Southern California. And, and again, with the journalism school, I was on the right track. So I stuck around and, um, and it paid off really well. Uh, but Chapman was great. Having two different head coaches was um, a learning experience. They were both very different in their styles. Um, mm -hmm. I'll say I learned a lot more just technically baseball savvy wise from from the first coaching staff that I had the second coaching staff um, he was a high school coach at the beginning of his career very successful in Southern California he came to the college level and, and took that high school um, kind of coaching mentality and very military-esque uh, kind of break you down as a player and try and build you up as the player that he wanted you to be and for me that it it wasn't a great coaching style, and we really butted heads. And even though I had a really pretty good sophomore year, I, I slumped a little bit at the end of the season, so my overall numbers didn't look very good. Uh, I didn't fit what he was trying to do, even though I was a pretty accomplished hitter at the college level, almost at 300 in my career. Um, you know, so it, it was it was a clash of styles. I was I was able to stick around all four years. It was kind of dicey whether or not he wanted me to play my senior year, but I basically said, I'm on scholarships. I'm going to come out here. I don't care what role you put me in, but I'll be there. And if you ask me to be a pinch hitter, I'll be a pinch hitter, whatever you want me to do. Um, and that's what I ended up doing basically in my last season was I didn't start a game, not even on senior day, which is a different story altogether. Um, but um, I, I had a great playing experience, made some lifelong friends, again, won the national championship, went to the college world series my senior year. Um, so it was, it was a great experience for me. Yeah. Um, what was it kind of like playing for a new head coach for that 2003 season? Well, I mean, you, you were recruited by one coach and then it changes. Uh, what was that like? It's a big adjustment. Um, the, the new coaching regime, uh, regime did not bring any of their new guys in with them. It was kind of a late hire. Uh, so he didn't really have any new recruits at that level. He brought in a couple of JC guys, but it wasn't, he didn't really get his guys in there until the following season. So basically we had the old regime and our, all of our players from that great team in 2002 carry over to 2003, ended up winning a national championship with all of the previous coaching um, regimes guys. Uh, that's when we won the title. So it, it was really 
it was different. He was trying to get accustomed to the new level. He's trying to get accustomed to the new rules, uh, the recruiting process, all the above, how to, how to manufacture what he has in his stable in terms of players. So it was a big adjustment for our head coach. Um, we had to learn a new system on what he wanted to try and put into place and um, more small ball stuff. So it was just a, a whole different type of, of reality, uh, coaching staff-wise, players-wise. We had four pitchers that ended up in the College World Series that ended up throwing all six games. Um, our closer appeared in four games. He has not been able to comb his hair since. We had two guys that had Tommy John surgery. Another guy had a labrum surgery. So, I mean, we, wow. we got the best out of what we had, but at the same time, we won a national title, but those guys will never be the same, and one of them was drafted in the fourth round. So, it, it was just – it was – it was a big adjustment to say the least, but we were very successful. And at the end of the day, we won a, a world series out of it. Yeah. I, I, that's quite an accomplishment. And I think what's even, I think more interesting about that is that you had, you know, such change um, early on in the season. I don't, I don't feel like that particularly happens that often. Um, you know, what sticks out to you when you think back to that team about what the team's makeup was like? We were gritty. Um, you know, like I said, Division three players, there's not a huge difference between a D1 player and a D3 player. You might have a couple of more ticks on a fastball from a D1 player. You might have a couple of more inches um, just in terms of height and, and strength from D3 to D1 players. At least that's the way it was when I was playing. So, you know, there wasn't a huge drop off. We used to scrimmage against Division one teams all the time, went toe to toe with Long Beach State and LMU and a couple of other clubs. Uh, over the course of my tenure, but our team was really gritty. We we forced the issue of other teams. We were going to be very aggressive. It was um, a style not unlike what we played with the Jesuit. When I was a Jesuit, didn't matter if you were the three hitter or the nine hitter. If there was a runner at second base or runners at first and second with nobody out, you were bunting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was a three hitter in high school, and there were college coaches coming out to watch me play. Joe Patoni gives me the square around early, bunt down the third baseline. There's runners at first and second in the first inning. I lay down a bunt, got it down. College coaches that were here to see me left because I bunted with runners <laughs> at first and second. So, I mean, but it was very similar in terms of the styles. We used to call it CU baseball fun time. Runner at first base, <laughs> lay down a bunt on the first base side, try and get the guy to go to from first to third. So we were always action, a lot of hit and runs, a lot of bunting and running. Uh, a lot of stealing, pressure the defense, trying to take the extra base. That That's kind of the style that, that they wanted to play. Um, and then once we got ourselves into the playoffs, into the regionals, um, our, our mantra was play for the pile. And basically, you want to play for the dog pile at the end. You go in the regional, you get to dog pile on the mound. You get to the World Series, you win that last game, you get to dog pile on the mound at the end. And that's that's what it was, play for the pile. And, and you wanted to to get yourself to celebrate a championship. Yeah. I think that those uh, mantras are so good as far as building a culture and building a goal. And, and you, I mean, you see it all the time in major league baseball, especially, and, and, you know, it may be generated by uh, MLB, but I just think it's so interesting when you see those sayings, but I, you know, when I looked back and, and kind of was doing some research and I saw the play for the pile, like I, I loved that. What, what I think is interesting though, is, you know, you, you describe a team's makeup that's really gritty and small ball. And then if, if I understand correctly, as you got deeper into that tournament, um, you guys started really, I think, 
having a lot of runs scored and all that was there was there a shift you know during that tournament or or what was that like well when when we won the regional um so we had won the opening game we lost the second game had to go through the losers bracket and went twice on the last day uh which was mm. uh foreshadowing into the college world series as well so we had to beat george fox university twice on the last day of the regional we ended up doing that and and going to the college world series uh, when we got to the College World Series, we opened up against UW Oshkosh, Wisconsin Oshkosh, which was the the host university because they were played in Appleton, Wisconsin at the time, um, which is about two hours north of Milwaukee, coincidentally. Uh, and Oshkosh is only about a 25-minute drive. So we set the attendance record on an opening night of the College World Series, ended up winning that ball, ball game with our ace on the mound and our closer throwing the last like three and a third innings or something like that. Wow. Um, so the, again, foreshadowing big time. We go and we lose the second game. So you go back into the losers bracket. We ended up going and winning the third game, shutting a team out. Uh, the guy that started that game went five innings. Our closer finished out the last four, and then we came back and had to play the next day early game, Emory University. And the guy that started game number three came out and started game number four after throwing five innings the day before. He ends up throwing a complete game against Emory starting that contest. And then we were down two, uh, three runs going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and we scored four with a walk-off double. Bases loaded, two outs, two strikes. Our catcher hits a ball into the gap, and we win it in the bottom of the ninth inning. Right? Wow. So we we have, so now we're back into the championship series, and we have to go back, and um, and we have to win twice in the last day. And you know the the offense came alive. We scored 15 runs in both games, if I'm not mistaken, or 15 runs and 14 runs or whatever it was. It was a they were big numbers against Christopher Newport, who hadn't lost. We had to beat them twice. Um, the guy who started game number two threw a complete game in game number the first game of the last day. We ended up smoking them, and again, it's a it's pressure offense, a lot of hitting and running, and just creating a lot of offense. We didn't. I think we might have hit two or three home runs that entire day. Um, so it's a bunch of doubles and triples and, and base hits. I had a couple of those base hits in the championship game too. And then in the final game, the closer who had pitched a couple of other games ended up throwing a complete game in the final, even though we were up 15 to seven or something like that. He ends up throwing 184 pitches and he's, he gets the win. So the offense came alive, but it was still the, the pitching, the four guys in the, in the six games that ended up getting it done. And we had a starter that, Started back-to-back days, went 14 innings or something like that in the span of 24 hours. Um, wow. So it was it was wild. And again, the, the offense was prevalent, but it was it was still the same formula. Get a guy on first base and try and hit and run or bunt him over and and get some guys in, got some big hits. Yeah, it, it sounds like a really fun, competitive environment and experience. And, and I'm sure you never imagined that you'd find yourself I think in such a, a great kind of gritty uh, baseball atmosphere, especially when you were thinking about possibly walking on uh, at, at LMU. But yeah, yeah, it was great. And and even my senior year, we won the the city championship that season. So I mean, I knew what it was like to to play in those types of situations and to have a guy like J.P. Howell that we had at Jesuit, um, who was as good as anybody. He was a first round pick out of high school, sandwich supplemental pick, and then a second round pick out of college because he didn't sign. So having that guy on the mound, having a horse and having your, your offense, the way that it was, it was special in high school. And then you have the mentality 
of winning a championship like that. And you, you just want more. And we were fortunate enough to play for that opportunity just two years later. Yeah. So, you know, you finished your, your career at Chapman. Um, it it mm -hmm. seems like it was a great experience for you. Um, and at the same time, you, you know, you're, you're studying broadcast journalism. Did you know that, you know, your next step within the sport was probably going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the broadcasting route or at least the, the marketing or media route? Yeah, that was the hope that I wanted to, to be in, in sports, in baseball, doing something like that. Um, now, the, the kind of caveat to this whole thing is that I was majoring in broadcast journalism, but it was on the TV side. Um, hosted, hosted like variety shows like a Jay Leno or a, a David Letterman type of show dating myself because i don't know jimmy fallon if you want to go who's <laughs> sure, actually hosting yeah. the tonight show now so right. i hosted a couple of shows like that um kind of a saturday night live meets jimmy fallon with sketches and, and interviews and stuff so uh i did those kind of things i didn't do a, a lot of play-by-play -play. in fact in college i only did three games total i did one softball game i did one basketball game and one football game uh all hmm. television style broadcast but all of my my background was kind of on the production side um so that that's kind of the route that i thought i was going to go i knew i wanted to do play-by-play -play, but the the opportunities were going to be limited uh so i kind of right. created my own opportunities and um a year and a half after i had graduated i was working at fox which was an internship to begin with spring semester my senior year so i'm playing trying to graduate and interning at the same time in downtown los angeles and um these opportunities just kept coming up and I would show up at work and they'd have me editing tapes first and foremost, and then logging tapes, basically watching a game and writing down when specific plays happen so that you could hand that tape to an editor and the editor would get it over for their late night sports show. So that's basically how I started. And then they appreciated the work that I had done there. And then they said, why don't you go be a production assistant down at an angel game tonight? Or why don't you go to a Dodger game and be a PA? Or why don't you work the Lakers? So those are things that I did. And the producers took notice. And once my internship was over, after I graduated, they didn't tell me to stop showing up at Fox. Right. So and my key still work. So I just kept showing up. Um, and it turned into a full-time job where I'm working on the Lakers, the Angels, working on a couple of magazine-style shows, UCLA and USC, the Lexus Gauntlet show, and um, a couple of other kind of pre-produced shows. So I did that for a year and a half, and summer of 2006, a college buddy of mine's doing the public address for the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. They say, we need a guy to fill in on our radio broadcast tomorrow. Do you think you could do it? I said, uh, yeah, sure. I'd never done a, a baseball game, first and foremost, and I'd never done a game on radio. Um, so I went out and I did the game, and I didn't drop any curse words on the air. So <laughs> they asked me to come back a couple of weeks later. I ended up doing like six games that summer. Um, the normal radio guy left after the 2006 season. I had a previous relationship with the, the general manager and the assistant general manager. I applied for the job and Gave him my tape. Coincidentally, the assistant general manager played for my college coach that recruited me at Chapman, who was then at Davis. The AGM played at Davis for the same coach. He calls up old coach Peters and said, is this guy okay? Or is he a dummy? He says he's okay. <laughs> That's how I got the job. That's how I got my job in minor league baseball. And, you know, 13 years later, I'm, I'm in the big leagues. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, much like I think a, a minor league player, you had to kind of grind through 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the minor leagues. And, and so you kind of took parallel paths from being a player to uh, being, you know, a broadcaster. And so I, I guess my question for you is, you know, how did your experience as a student athlete at Chapman kind of prepare you for that grind? Um, you know, and, and now that you're, you know, I realized play by play broadcaster, what was that, you know, what was that like for you? I would say the work ethic portion of it, trying to balance being a, a full-time student as well as being a full-time athlete um, and, and being adaptable. Again, my situation as a player shifted so many different times. I went into college as a catcher. They put me over at first base. They put me in left field. I was a DH. I mean, my, I was constantly changing my roles and then, you know, shift that into my internship at Fox and subsequent job. I'm doing I'm editing. I'm an associate producer. I'm um, in the truck running the tape operator job. I'm helping out the engineers. I'm helping out the audio guys. I'm, you know, doing stats. I'm doing everything. So that those things being a student athlete allow you to adapt into different situations uh, that you find yourself in in life. And um, nothing could have prepared me in terms of my college broadcasting degree that could have prepared me for what I did in the minor leagues because I was writing media notes. I'd never designed a website. I had to design a website, manage the website. Um, I started at least two different social media platforms for the teams that I worked for. Never really did social media because everybody's learning on the fly at that time. Um, Nobody could have prepared me for that. I had to negotiate a radio station contract so that our games could be on the air. So there's some business for you right there too. Never done any of that. I had to sell corporate sponsorships and season tickets uh, group tickets as well. So that was trial by fire. The first time I had ever had to, go speak in front of a group and try and sell them on a group outing of 50 people or whatever at a Rancho Cucamonga Quakes game. So these are all things I had to do. And then if I had time, I got to go call the game as my reward. So (laughs) just having to do all this, all the extra stuff and the time management and, and what it takes and how other people are asking you to spread your time so thin and I didn't have an intern. So I'm making a hundred copies of the stats. So that scouts have the stat, the stats that they want. And if they don't have them and they're not, you know, double sided or they're just one sided, they're not stapled, right. They, they chew you out. It's like, come on, man, relax. It's not, <laughs> yeah. ever, you don't care what this guy's hitting against left-handed pitching in the seventh inning or later. So anyway, my experience as a, as a, a baseball player, a student athlete and a student, and and managing all the timing and where I needed to be and, and making schedules and adhering to those schedules and being early wherever I was uh, was extremely helpful for for my job in the minor leagues and now in the big leagues. And not only that, but if I recall, there's a story where you kind of had to earn your keep as a baseball player and a broadcaster that knew baseball. Um, you know, there, I, I read one story where you ended up taking VP. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you, you're digging deep for stories on me there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my my first year. Uh, we were driving up to High Desert, playing a three game series, and High Desert's not even not even an affiliated baseball anymore. But we're driving up to High Desert one day, and you know, I'm talking hitting with a couple of people, and in our hitting coach, and you know, these a lot of these guys are first round picks or bonus babies out of high school or Division one college guys. 
So they look at me and they go, man, you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to hitting uh, your division three player. What do you know? So I went, well, fine. Let me just take batting practice tomorrow. And our pitching coach was there. He said, fine, you bring your bat, whatever. You can take a couple swings while we're getting ready. And there you go. So I showed up. I had my bat ready to go. I changed clothes and um, saw the first pitch, bunted it up third baseline to get my timing down. Second pitch, I hit a line drive back up the middle. And the third pitch, while everybody's in right field stretching and getting ready, I went deep. And I I dropped the bat and just walked out of the cage. And nobody knew really what to say. Um, <laughs> and then I stayed behind the cage and watched the rest of batting practice. And everybody just kind of came up to me and went, man, I, I guess you're okay. And I never really had to worry about it after that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think that you would need to. And I'm sure right after that, you had to go rush over and start, you know, making copies and doing all your prep yeah. for the remainder well, of your it was, job. It, it was a road game. And, and the best part of it is, is that I was using my old college wood bats. Uh, it's not like I was using a metal bat. So I was using a, I was using my wood bats that had my name on it and Sam bats. Um, one of the, one of our shortstops, Heinley Stacia was his name, who happens to be in the Brewers organization as a coach, coincidentally. Um, mm. He liked the bat that I was, that I was swinging with. And he said, Hey man, can I use that in the game? I said, yeah, sure. Whatever you want. You can use it. But if you break it, then you got to give me like four years. Um, <laughs> right. old first, first AB, he gets jammed and he's just saws himself off. So I ended up walking away with four Heinley Stacia, uh, Stacia bats and I still have them. Wow, that's that's a good deal for you. Yeah, worked out okay. They're not even big league wood either. They're pretty bad bats, but <laughs> what uh what was it like, you know, you you went from Rancho Cucamonga to Springfield and then to mm -hmm. Pawtucket, right? And then mm -hmm. yep. you know, you were then looking at, you know, how did you go from Pawtucket to your, you know, your experience with the Brewers? Like what was that transition like for you? Sure, it was it was a big transition. I, I would say my biggest transition was going from A ball to double A, um, because after my third year in Rancho Cucamonga, there was an ownership change, and um, the ownership group didn't want to bring me back. They had hired somebody else um, without me knowing. They said they were going to make my job seasonal; it wasn't going to be a full time job. So they brought somebody else in and never really told me. And I found out about it from a buddy of mine who was working in the Texas league. And it just so happens that he left the guy that ended up taking my job in Rancho Cucamonga left the job in Springfield, Missouri. So as soon as I found out that I wasn't coming back, which I thought I was coming back, um, I sent my tape out to Springfield and ended up getting hired, uh, which was very, very beneficial because if I didn't get that job, I might not have worked in minor league baseball that year. I might've gone back and worked at Fox and, and my career path would have been totally different. So right. uh, after my first three years, I thought I was on a pretty good trajectory. I'd been close to getting double a job. And after my second year and finished as a runner up um, and I ended up getting that double a job and we basically traded spots. Uh, I went to mm -hmm. Springfield and then he went to, to Rancho. He's still in Rancho Cucamonga to this day, um, almost 10 years later. And, you know, I'm in the big league. So I got my job in double A. That was really was very fortunate. The Cardinals were fantastic. I was there for three seasons. I probably would still be there had the Pawtucket job not opened up. Um, I ended up applying. They were hiring two jobs out of three people. Um, one of those guys ended up getting the Houston Astros job, Robert Ford, who is still there. So I was hired with Bob Sosi, who now does the New England Patriots. Um, hmm. 
radio broadcast. So the two of us were hired at the same time. Bob left in the middle of my first year and I was the de facto lead going in anyway. And then I was the lead there for two years uh, before getting the job at the Brewers. So it was, it was a really whirlwind couple of years, 13, 14, and then going into 2015 where I was the fill in um, on the, the road broadcast for Milwaukee. Uh, but it was a perfect way to ease in. It wasn't, okay, here you go. You're a lead in the major leagues. You get 162 ball games. Good luck. Um, you know, I kind of got to to ease my way in, dip my toe in the shallow end for, for 65 games and, and learn what it's like to be in the big leagues and the tempo of the game and, and how to interact with these big league players and big league coaches. And um, I, I couldn't have asked for a better better way to ease into the major leagues than than the way that I did it not doing a full schedule and, and just getting the lay of the land. Was there a, a particular moment for you where it registered that you had, you know, your, your journey had not necessarily culminated because you're still moving through it, but that you mm-hmm. had reached, you know, this, this, this level that I think on a parallel path is, is obviously a big deal as well. Yeah, the aha moment. Was there that? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Cause I didn't, make my major league debut. So the season starts in April. I, I didn't get on a major league broadcast until the middle of May, um, which is crazy. So I'm sitting there for six weeks. I did some spring training games and then I'm sitting there for six weeks. I hadn't called a game in a while and we get to Detroit and it's finally my first opportunity to call games. And it was great. My partner actually tossed it to me, said, all right, for the third inning, here's Jeff. And he got up and he walked out of the booth guy was from Detroit so he had family in the stands and he he leaves and goes and sits with his family for a couple innings I'm like okay well I'm I'm here and let's do this not like I'd never done a game by myself before but never in the big leagues um but you know that that's how I got on the air for the first time and then I think my aha moment finally because I was still trying to kind of get my feet wet and realize what I was doing and, and kind of re- comprehend everything. When I finally sat down in the chair at AT&T Park in San Francisco, I think is when I, I finally looked out the booth and I went, holy cow, I'm in the major leagues. This is, <laughs> this is pretty surreal. Um, I, I think that's when it, when it finally happened. Um, still really, really blows my mind that I get paid to do what I do. Uh, and right. have as as much fun as I have, but but that was the aha moment was in San Francisco in in 2015. That's awesome. Um, do you have any advice for I think student athletes looking to stay in baseball following their own playing career? There's tons of different routes that you can take. Um, just be open to. It might not be what your dream is initially, but be open to saying yes to whatever opportunity it is that they ask you to do there. There are so many different things. And now that analytics are a big part of, of the sport, there are front office expansions galore um, Mm -hmm. and jobs that are going to be out there that can get your foot in the door in a major league facility um, in a major league organization or even a minor league organization. So whether it's sales or whether it's marketing or broadcasting or on the TV side or, um, you know, selling tickets or whatever it is. If you want to work in baseball, there's going to be a job for you. Um, so just don't be afraid to to say, you got to say yes. You got to say, yes, I'm happy to do that. I'm, I'm happy to do whatever you want me to do. And if you have a goal, try and strive to get to that goal. And, um, you know, just, I, I learned a, a long time ago that no is, is a really bad thing to say when, 
when you're first starting out, whatever industry you're in. So no is something that I've, I've very rarely said in my career. It's, it's worked out very well for me. That's uh, great advice. Um, now we're going to do uh, our closing nine. It's nine questions, uh, one, you know, a sentence or less or one word responses. Um, okay. So are you, are you ready? The first thing that comes to my mind, right? This is like family feud. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. So the first Lightning question round. is, yep. Uh, favorite baseball city outside of Milwaukee? San Francisco. Favorite baseball movie? The Natural. Favorite baseball player growing up? Will Clark. If you were to choose one person to play you in a movie, who would it be? Matt Damon. Uh, sunflower seeds, David's or Spitz? Biggs. I'm going off the grid. Ooh, off the grid. Favorite flavor? Uh, I enjoy the kettle, the kettle corn flavor. Your favorite item of ballpark food? Man, there are so many good things. Uh, I will say there's a, a cookie ice cream sandwich that they serve in City Field with the Mets new home that I really like. It's really good. Not necessarily on a, on a cold spring day, but it's a good day. It's a good food item. DH or no DH? No DH. Even though Best I was play- a DH. <laughs> right. Best player you have played with or against? Best player I have played with is probably Dustin Pedroia. And lastly, what is the number one character trait you see in professional baseball players? Determination. Um, Minor leagues, big leagues, that's 90% of getting to the major leagues is being determined and and just sticking with it. Um, You know. If you don't stick with it, you can quit really fast. You're not going to get to the big leagues. But if you, you stick with it, you're determined, you have the goal in mind, you can outlast almost anybody. I think that's a good life lesson, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. And you learn that by being an athlete um, or being yeah. involved in some sort of activity outside of of the classroom. Um, just that competitive edge and determination to do whatever it takes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Um, your story is terrific. Uh, I know a lot of people will get a lot out of it. So, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Anytime you need it. Thank you for listening to The Dugout, a college baseball match podcast. For more information about the college baseball recruiting process, visit our website, collegebaseballmatch.com. You can also find us on all social media channels. Do you have a question about the recruiting process that you'd like answered on the show? Email us at support at collegebaseballmatch.com. 